Well, welcome back to Three Part Par. My name is Mike Caridi. I am your host. This is episode number nineteen. We have a very, we always have a very special guest, but this week we have a very special guest on to help us talk a little bit about the Australian, really the big major season coming up for the big two events over the next two weeks. He's a two-time winner on the Corn Ferry Tour and former professional golfer. I'll say former, but I'm sure he'd still beat the hell out of me around a golf course and most other people most of the time. He's also the person you're hearing on uh, on the TV every other week. And if you don't know him from that, you know him as the person who gives baristas around the world conniptions with how to spell his name. And that's Mr. Ewan Porter. <laughs> Welcome. I love that intro. Uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on. Mate, I really, really appreciate your time. It is something that I do find thoroughly amusing when you post up how people spell your name on a coffee cup. Yeah, I know. quite often I think to my parents, I think about why didn't my parents just call me John or Bob <laughs> or, or something simple. Yeah. Um, but, you know, instead of getting frustrated, I just, uh, I guess I just play along with it now. And I kind of, I almost deliberately mumble my name just yeah. so that, and then I let them guess see what yep. sort of quirky equation they can come up with. And I've had some pretty funny ones. Oh, you've had some rippers. I mean, I <laughs> if someone just did a U-W-E-N, you, you know, yeah, I get that. But yeah, mm. some of the stuff I'm thinking you must get in the States are, are, are fantastic. You win. Y-O-U, second word, W-I-N, you win. That's a, that's a common one. That's, yeah. You, you take that though. I mean, that's not the worst thing. Yeah, you win. There you go. Exactly. Um. I did mention you professional golfer, so two wins on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, well, the most Aussies would obviously know the one down at Moona, um, which got the card on the US Tour. Oh, sorry, at, at the time. So give us give us a bit of a rundown on that time and 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 you and your golfing career. Yeah, gosh, that feels like a lifetime ago. They're actually, as we talk, they're actually uh, on the back nine at Moona Leaks at the the Vic PGA, and uh, it looks like quite a tight tussle down there. But, um, yeah, 15 years ago that win was uh, earned me an exemption on the, what was then the Nationwide Tour. It's yep. now the Corn Ferry Tour. I think it started back in about 2002. They had the co-sanctioned events here in Australia, and we see it now these next two weeks, the Open PGA, they'll be DP World Tour. Mm. Um, but it used to be with the um, the Corn Ferry Tour for about 10 years, and, I think it started off in New Zealand um, at the yep. New Zealand PGA and then we played the Jacobs Creek Tournament at Kuyonga and uh, Royal Adelaide. They replaced the Adelaide event with the Moonar event for, for three years, I think it was, and um, I was lucky enough to have won that in 2008. And, um, yeah, that was obviously the – well, that was probably the greatest week of my um, golf career. I'd been in really good form leading up to it for about three or four months. I'd mm-hmm. had a shot at winning the Aussie Open at the Aussie and – I think I was second last group at um, New Zealand Open on Sunday. And I, I just played a great stretch of golf and I was obviously very confident that golf course was, um, it really played into my hands. I wasn't the most accurate driver of the golf ball going around. And I think visually um, there was a lot of room for me to hit it. But, but yeah. more than that, I remember having a new Nick Kent. Remember yes, that brand? I had a I new do, Nick Kent I do. driver in the bag that week and, um, and I was flushing it um, and the fairway bunkers, were uh, I guess a, a lot of them were out of play. I, I, I was carrying a lot of them um, mm-hmm. that a lot of the other guys didn't. And um, when you do carry the bank bunkers at Moonar Links, you get an extra 50, 60 meters um, yeah. just from the the um, the contours, and it, 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 everything just fell into place that week. And obviously, it um, it changed the course of my career. I I probably I would have liked to have gone on with it a little bit more as far as uh, my form per se, over, you know, the, the few years following that. But 
what that win did really was the catalyst for me doing everything I am now in, in yeah. my career and um, yeah, unforgettable moment. Oh, absolutely. And the photo's still there. I was down at Moon uh, maybe only a month ago. And every time you come out of the change rooms, there's the, the photo of you with the trophy there straight on the wall. I would say I get, oh, probably on average, once every couple of months, I get someone yeah. who plays down there and sends me the photo. <laughs> it's it's great memories, but it's also, what was I thinking with the haircut and the, <laughs> the sideburns? And I, I was actually down there for one of the, the Junior Sixes events that, um, that I'm running. I was mm. down there in April. Uh, we had an event at Moonar and I had my, at the time, six-week-old son with me and uh, took a photo holding him next to the photo yeah. on the wall. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's, whilst it's a bit of a laugh with the uh, the hairstyle, it's, it also conjures up so many fond memories, like I said. Yeah, absolutely. I think a story that you definitely don't know, but um, um, it would have been, it was definitely the Vic PGA way back when, and it was played at Sanctuary Lakes in Victoria at Point Cook. And I was working at Coca-Cola at the time, managing uh, looking after some of their booze division. And I had some passes to play in the Pro-Am. And I played in the morning with Paul Sheehan. And I had two spots for friends that played with you in the afternoon. Now, you won't remember that because you would have played at a million. Apologize. Apologize to them for me. I will. But the (laughs) one thing that came out of it forever, it was the first time they'd ever seen anybody from about two, three feet out, just drill a putt, take all the breakouts straight at the hole, hitting it hard. And from then on, Every time anyone had a putt from three feet, I'm talking for years, they would just look back at the other people in the group and say, you and Porter, and then they would belt the putt from three feet. So it's been a famous thing in our group forever and a day. And the mate of mine, Mans in Hong Kong, I can guarantee would still be saying it today. That's funny. It's uh, Well, it probably wouldn't have been long after that that um, I definitely stopped putting like that because uh, <laughs> I, I, I think um, – I think you play the game long enough, you develop a little bit of scar tissue. Yes. And uh, obviously at that point, I, I probably hadn't been a pro that long. I was in my early 20s and hadn't developed too many demons on the greens. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, that changed over time. And that's anyway, that's great. That's it a good story. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they can still uh, bring up those memories. 100%. And now, it's funny you mentioned scar tissue because I know you're happy to talk about it because you do post it online a lot. And uh, that's the chip shot. From was it was that at the South Georgia when you won? <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the other win on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, that was yeah. Um, 2010, and yeah, I I think it was the was it the it was the third round. Um, I was one behind or something, and uh, but I'd come off. I'd had about three or four bad holes in a row prior to that. I'd had a triple. I dropped another shot. Um, I hit a beautiful tee shot on this par four, and I had exactly 100 yards to the pin, middle of the fairway, perfect lie. Not a breath of wind, no excuse whatsoever. So 100 to the pin, and I had 73 yards for my next shot. So I hit the ball 27 yards. The divot, I'm pretty sure, went 25 yards because I was right near my ball. Um, And I just, like, pretty much as soon as I made impact with the ball, I dropped the club. The hands went behind my head. I point down at the divot. I don't know. I have no idea what I was making an excuse for. Um, but the commentator made an excuse for me, said it looked like a bug flew in his eye or something. And, oh, there you go. Well, that was very nice of him to say that, but um, that wasn't true. But I did knock <laughs> the next one to a couple of feet and make putt. And then you won the tournament. So at the end of the day, it doesn't, <laughs> it's easy to laugh about it. It actually, that hole really um, it sort of typifies my entire career. That's It was a roller coaster. Yep. But that's golf. I mean, that, that's what, that, that, is, that is why we do it. I mean, if it was easy... It wouldn't be as enjoyable. It's all about being. It's all about being challenged. I played this morning. I played horrendous, 
Um, there's days like today that I never want to go back and play a game, but I'm sure I'll do it again next weekend. And I'm at a point now where just you saying you played golf this morning, I'm very envious of that because um, with an eight-month-old son, just yes. getting, getting the clubs out is extremely challenging. I've played 18 holes twice since April and we're in yep. the middle of November. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, I just enjoy walking around a golf course now. It's more therapeutic than anything. So with when you get to travel, obviously the last few weeks, and we'll talk a little bit about getting onto the tour and, and commentary and stuff, but do you get to tra- – when you're traveling, is this pretty much as all work? There's no way you'd be able to fit this in the schedule in, in golf? Uh, you probably could, but you'd be – You'd be grinding hard to find the time to do it, um, and I, you know, I like to pride myself on doing a lot of prep work um, with yeah. with regards to the the broadcast. So, I mean, if we've in Europe, for example, if we've got a if we're on air from twelve o'clock to five o'clock, which is fairly typical of um, what how the the schedule would run, um, I like to get to the golf course by nine o'clock, nine thirty, and, and the preparation can involve anything from chatting to players, caddies, um, going and watching a few holes, um, see what's happening on the course, going to the range. Um, then we have a production meeting. By the time you're done at five o'clock, I mean, you're pretty exhausted. All you, all you want to do is go back, have a beer and, yeah. and, have, and have dinner. Um, oh, not at a point where I'd be willing to try and find a local course and see up at 6 a.m. to squeeze 18 holes in. I know a couple of my journalist friends um, would be doing all they could to do that, but you know that was that was the first chapter of my career, lugging my golf clubs around everywhere. And um, yeah, I don't. I, I love travelling and I love what I do, but I don't miss the grind of travelling with my clubs. You, so obviously, yeah. I mean, I talk about it all the time with people. It's it's different for me, right? And a lot, of, and ninety nine percent of other people that play golf, we play golf. But it was your work, so you. Hmm. It was what you did for a living. When you got to the point where you were like, you know what, this is just not for me anymore. How hard was the decision? Like, I mean, obviously you're playing at a super elite level. You know, you're playing on on you know the secondary US tour, and you're having big starts and big results across the Aussie tour and everywhere else. How tough was it? Really hard. Really, really, really hard. I think. When I stopped playing in 2013, so we're talking 10 years ago, there wasn't as much emphasis back then, as you know, around, I guess, around mental health and, and things like that. And, I mean, it was it was all on me. I mean, I chose to take the pathway I did. I turned professional the year after high school. I was only 19 years old. Um, but throwing all the eggs in, in the one basket and not listening to anyone was good in a way because I backed myself um, and – not good in a way that when things uh, came to a halt, mm. um, I was still exempt. I still had status when I stopped playing. Uh, it wasn't great status. It was conditional status, but I could have kept playing and grinding it out. But I think I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do what I'm doing now with regards to the commentary. I didn't know how difficult it would be to get a foot in the door because I thought I'd made a lot of good connections when I was playing. Um, but it was it was very, very challenging to walk away from, you know, the fact, first of all, I mean, we're talking, do you want to be honest, we're talking money. I mean, knowing that a couple of times I've made six figures in a week and, you know, for yeah. PGA Tour players, that's that's seven figures if, if they win a tournament. But it was tough knowing that no matter what I do, I'm probably never ever going to make that type of money again. But then I also had to be realistic because I thought I'm, for at least 12, 18 months, I've really been despising what I do for a career. And I think at the age of 30 at the time, there was, there was, I was by far and away the youngest commentator. I mean, everyone 
at the time was in their 50s and 60s. And I thought, you know, five, 10 years from now, it's just getting harder and harder to retain your status out here. Every man and his dog that stops playing golf is, is going to want to transition to broadcasting because it's, yeah. the, it's the natural fit. So I wanted to try and get in early and before everyone did that. And, and thankfully, um, four years later, I, I did get my um, foot in the door at the US Open at Erin Hills. And um, from there, that really, everything snowballed. But um, it, was, it was really, really, really tough. And like I said, I mean, it was all a pathway that I pursued. Um, my parents, you know, I, I feel bad for what my, I must have put my parents through at the time because I think when I, well, when I stopped playing, I was, I was single and um, it was just a, just a really, 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 really tough period. And even mm. the next three, four years after that, um, you know, I worked at a brewery in Montana in the US for, for almost a year and, yes. um, you know, came back here for a, a little bit and was working at a cafe for a few months on the Sunshine Coast and still made a couple of cameos a year and sort of held out hope, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll find some, you know, something, some pot of gold at the end of a rainbow and get back out there. But um, it was, I keep, I keep saying it, it was, it was really hard, but I think I needed to go through what I did in those years to just get a bit of a, a better understanding for being on the other side of the fence and, and life in general. I think I'd lived in this insular bubble for a decade where, everyone fawns over you and everyone tells you how good you are and blows smoke and wants to know about what you're doing because being a professional golfer um, seems so glamorous mm. and there's a lot of terrific parts to it. I wouldn't change anything I did for the world, but, um, yeah, it certainly got to a point where enough was enough and I had to, I had to look, to, look ahead to the future and try and plan for that. It's um, even just when you talk about it, you know, I, I, I just – don't know why, but I just don't re- didn't realize like you were thirty. Like if you think about anyone who does any profession, and you go into something that you love and something that you've always known, and to get to thirty, who is you're a kid, and to yeah. realize to walk away, and then like you said, the the mental health impacts, just figuring out what you want to do and having a passion for it, but still wanting to do more. Yeah, that would be massively difficult. Massively difficult. It, it was really hard. Just lots of lonely nights on the other side of the world in mm. hotel rooms, and even guys that I grew up that I was close to, um, guys that I grew up with that I was very close to when I was younger, I remained friends with them, but it's it's very much a solo pursuit out there where you're looking after yourself and your own career and um, just lots of nights alone, room service, very boring, very, um, you become, I guess you become fairly depressed. Like I wouldn't, hmm. I, I don't know, maybe if I went and saw a doctor at the time, they'd say I was clinically depressed. Yeah. I don't know, but it's, you know, I, I wanted to be anywhere, but where I was yeah. most of the time. And, um, you know, it's sad when I reflect on that now, but I just didn't know any better. So I, I yeah. kept doing it until enough was enough. Yeah. And lonely. I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, it's it's an individual sport. And yeah, there's the high parts that people see on television, but yeah, there'd be a massive parts that people just don't see and, mm. and different impacts on different people for sure. Mm. Um, you said you worked in the brewery. Obviously, you got a, a massive passion for for beer through there. Did you, no, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you? Did you had a TV pilot or a show around beer as well? You worked in beer. Yeah. Yes. I. Um, yes. Yeah, so the, first of all, the uh, the series that I filmed was for a cable network in the US called Travel Channel, um, which still exists today, owned by Discovery, and mm-hmm. I filmed a series called Microbrew Madness, um, and we. We filmed at four different breweries in the northeast of America um, during a polar vortex in the middle of winter. Nice. I remember it was about minus 30-something in Chicago when we were there. But um, prior to that, 
I think the reason I got the gig was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to that, I sort of developed an interest for, for different beers around 2008 when I was 25, 26 years old. And um, it would have been about 20, 2011, 2012, I, um, I started really getting into the craft beer side of it, mm. blogging about the different beers that I was trying. And then eventually that turned into a, an ebook that I wrote. Um, I think it was called Get Hopped, My Global Search for the Holy Ale. Yeah. And um, I, I also did film a pilot here in Australia for um, a show called The Search for the Holy Ale. And it was it was very much a beer travel show that was going to have a celebrity component to it every episode, everywhere we went. And there was going to be food and beer combinations. And 10 years ago, it was, it was kind of ahead of its time because mm. the craft beer market really hadn't cracked then. And now it's gone gangbusters. But we had it um, green lit by Channel 10 here in Australia. Um, it was all ready to go. We just... We, we got like a, some sort of marketing guy involved and unfortunately couldn't get the funds to um, get it off the ground, but, which was a bit of a shame. And if anyone's listening and wants to sponsor it, let's do it. Yell out, yeah. It's funny. I remember <laughs> that clearly and, and because I was, I, was, I was working for Little Creatures then because I started at Creatures in tw- 2001, I want to say, and mm-hmm. we just started putting beer in a bottle and we had like four places in Melbourne that sold the beer, like it was nothing. But from where it went from there until around that period, it just went off a ski jump. It was a, a craft beer was booming and people jumping up and it, breweries jumping up everywhere. Um, and I just remember, I remember you having that, um, either the blog or the book that you said, because I remember thinking, oh, he likes golf and he likes beer. There you go. Mm. Mm. Um, Actually, it was around that time, 2013, 14, I think Little Creatures, didn't they move to, was it Geelong? Their, their headquarters went yeah. from Fremantle to Geelong or something? Yeah, head office is still there, but just when you're making that much beer and 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 you needed more facilities to make beer and also um, what we figured out really early is it's great to make beer and good beer, but shipping empty kegs back from Melbourne is really difficult and expensive to ship, <laughs> to, to ship empty empty kegs. Um, very expensive. So um, yeah, it was much much better for them at that point, and they were they were then eventually taken out outright by Lion. So it was a whole different beast by that point. But I was at I was at Coca Cola by that point. But yeah, I still mm. definitely remember that time. Um, and around that time, obviously, you were doing doing that for for that uh, for the beer stuff and the um, program, but you sort of started doing a lot more around TV. So give us a rundown on, I mean, obviously not easy work. I know you did stuff with the USGA you've done a bit with, but then also into different different shows. And obviously now people will be listening to you the next two weeks. And I've been listening to you the last month on the on the LPGA tour. So how does that happen? I mean, outside of just hard work. Yes, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of networking um, to the point when I was trying to get my foot in the door, I, I'd I'd, I'd find it difficult to press send on an email because it got to a point where am I trying too hard to the point where I'm being a pest and people reading my email are going to say, oh, not this guy again. But what do you do? I mean, if you're not getting the opportunity, yeah. you don't want to just sit back and, and hope that it happens. You've got to try and make it happen, right? So when I stopped playing, I probably got a, in 2013, I probably got a false sense of um, how difficult the transition was going to be given the fact that, I commentated at the World Cup of Golf at Royal Melbourne in 2013 and um, I remember playing a charity day, I think it was, at Bonnie Doon in Sydney and Brett Ogle was there and um, he asked me if I'd be interested in doing it because there was a position available. Um, And Brett was obviously, at the time, he was the man Mm. and still is the man. I love Brett. Um, But, uh, yeah, I got that gig um, 
and I probably, I have never listened to it back, but I probably did a poor job because I had no idea how, how sort of um, intricate um, a lot of the details were around uh, commentary. It's not just calling golf. It's, yeah. it's obviously preparing properly. It's having a producer in your ear talking while you're trying to talk on air or ask questions. And there's, there's a lot that, that is involved with it. And I worked alongside Finchie that week as well. And obviously he's seen been been there done that and seen it all yeah. for 30 years so it was great learning from him but then after that i mean i like i said i didn't get another gig until june 2017 so three and a half years um got asked to commentate at the us open at erin hills and, and do the world feed um i just happened to be working alongside um a guy called ned michaels an american fellow who um is one of my best friends and we played on the asian tour 20 years ago when I had just okay. turned professional and I hadn't seen Ned for over 10 years prior to that and um, went and worked at the US Open. Um, it was, a, <laughs> it was a talk about a sink or swim, you know, having not worked for three and a half years and never worked at a major championship. It was, um, it was quite eye-opening um, and a big, a big week, a massive experience for me. But I obviously, I must have done something okay because I then got asked to do the US Women's Open a couple of weeks after that. Bear in mind, I'd only taken enough clothes over there for a couple of weeks. And then after the US Women's Open, I got asked to do the US PGA Championship, the World Feed, at um, Quail Hollow. And I ended up staying two months over there and just bought a few clothes to to keep me going. And because of that work in the US, I then got asked to do the stuff for Channel 7 in Australia. And really everything just just kept snowballing and um, I just kept putting my best foot forward and hoped that it was... Good enough, and and really, I mean, I did the USGA stuff for a couple of years. It was never like I never had a contract to do the to do the USGA stuff, and I even to this day, six years later, I'm I still call myself a freelancer. I you know a little bit on the PGA tour, a little bit in Europe, a little bit here, a little bit of the LPGA stuff, and it's um it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun being able to go all over the world, and I love what I do. There's also a little bit of um, anxiety that comes with it when you don't know at the start of the year exactly what you're yeah. going to be doing. But, um, yeah, look, every, everything that I did there in 2017, again, has sort of led to what I'm doing now. But, you know, it's it's a lot of networking. It's um, it's a lot of hard work. And mm. even like now I've, I've noticed it in America that I guess the epiphany that I had when I stopped playing about players wanting to transition into commentary i mean we're seeing it trevor immelman uh, graham delette uh hunter mahan uh, yeah. nicholas colsarts who i've worked with a few times in europe i mean all guys who achieved a lot more than what i ever did on a golf course and um they all struggled at some point and got sick of playing and what do you do you, you turn to the the commentary stuff so um yeah it's it's fun though it's it's certainly um it's it's better camaraderie i think with the with the commentary team than when you're out there playing um, you can stop and smell the roses a little bit more and enjoy the places that you travel to. And um, there's not as much, I guess, emphasis on well, you're not worried about, you're not going to bed worried about whether you're across the line at the top or stuck on the downswing or if you're aiming yep. right or left <laughs> or your putting strokes. So, um, I think yeah, you'd it's, be it's, getting the <laughs> getting some of the um, LPGA names right would be my biggest worry. Oh. I, there's some absolutely – some of them I read just the results at, and I'm like, yeah, no. Nah, I, I, if I was in Port Shoes having to call that live, I'd be no chance to get it wrong. Yeah, as well, it's funny you should say that. Um, I don't know if you saw when Celine Boutier won in Malaysia a 
about three weeks ago, yep. I had to interview her for the presentation afterwards. And I had, I had Celine next to me and next to her was the king of Malaysia. Okay. Not every day you've got the king near you. And then next to the king was um, the CEO of Maybank. And his name, I, I, it was Tan Sri Dato Sri Zam Zam Zairali Mohammed Issa. I still can remember it because I've got it on my Instagram. But I remember looking at the sheet of paper with his name on it, and I, and I just said, "You got to. This is a stitch up. You got to be kidding. There's no way that's his name." Yeah. Um, and then I had all the production team take, making bets that I'd stuff it up on air, <laughs> and they were making jokes that the king was going to send me home in a body bag. And <laughs> nice, was, uh, nice, nice support coming from back at the back know, of the house. I know. And then when I got it right, and I walked back to the production hut, I I was banging my chest saying, "I'm no, I'm not paying for beer tonight." <laughs> no, absolutely. No, no. It's, it, not, it comes down to what you said before. It's that preparation piece. You know, like it's, you can hear it. Like you, and I'm not just saying this because we're talking, but I listen, I watch a lot of golf. I watch a lot of women's golf. The last few weeks, you've obviously been on through, was it Japan and Korea or Korean Japan? Correct, those yeah. Kind of weeks. yeah. And it's been great. Like it's, it's good hearing a good voice. There are people's voices that you get used to hearing. There are some that you like and don't like, but no, I think you've, I think you've been doing a really, really good job, which is good. And obviously, you'll be doing a bit more in the next couple of weeks, which is great again. Yep, looking forward to it. Um, one thing that I know about you is obviously you have have had a lot of support through the Jack Newton event up in Queensland for for many, many years, and you've been a part of that for a big time. Was that a, one of the reasons what drove you? to set up the junior super sixes like is that is that part of what where it came from or is it on my way off base yeah no oh, look i mean i um the jack newton junior golf foundation was just um it gave me and every other junior that i grew up playing with and still to the day gave us all the platform that we needed to you know aspire to achieve our dreams whether it was becoming a, a professional golf on the world stage or just or, or remaining in the golf industry to some capacity, it was um, it, it was wonderful, and uh, you know I've still got a lot of good friendships with guys that I grew up playing junior golf with, and um, I guess for me, I always wanted to do something in, in the junior golf space, but I just I never knew how. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it wasn't until my dad passed away in 2018 that um, that was sort of the catalyst for me getting my butt into gear and thinking what do I what do I do to honour my dad's leg- legacy and um, and I reached out to uh, people I knew at Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation, um, Golf New South Wales, Cronulla Golf Club, where I grew up in Sydney. And um, essentially, uh, we established a, a two-day tournament with a unique format, a Sixers Knockout format to it. Uh, and again, leveraged my connections at the PGA Tour here and the WPGA Tour to, um, to allocate professional exemptions to the winners. And... Um, which, when I reflect now, Hayden Hopewell defeated um, Elvis Smiley in the in the final, and Jeffrey Guam on the stroke play. So um, yep. it's funny because when I look back, I had no idea who the juniors were. I was living in the US at the time and working over there, and um, now you know there's probably there's not a junior coming through that I I wouldn't know <laughs> any yeah. uh, any intricate detail about because I'm so engrossed in it, but. I guess once the dust settled from that first event in 2019 and it was so well supported, I realised there was an opportunity to do something more. And, um, you know, the things, the, the, the main reasons for doing it, obviously honouring my, my father, but just simply to create playing opportunities and, and pathways for the juniors. And um, we've now 
you know, we, we, we have grown to 15 World Amateur Golf Ranking events throughout the year. And um, this year we had an event in New Zealand. We had qualifying series in Thailand and Singapore. Uh, we haven't announced our schedule for next year, but it'll be, it'll be pretty similar with an extra couple of events up in Asia. Um, and we just had our world final last week mm-hmm. um, in yes. Sydney and 19 professional tournament exemptions across seven different tours around the world, um, in addition to a couple of Adidas scholarships and overseas trips. It's, um, it's quite incredible. And it's, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm very proud of what I do with yeah. the commentary, but with regards to the, the sixes and, and creating these opportunities, um, it pales, you know, it, it just it pales in comparison to the commentary stuff because it's so rewarding. It's ultimately um, so satisfying to, to be able to give back and, um, and know that I've, I've established something that is sustainable more than anything. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's creating the opportunities. It's creating these 15 events. They're very well received. It's, um, you know, when I go and commentate around Europe, Asia, the US, wherever it is, I'm not just commentating there either. I'm, I'm trying to network with different golf associations, calling meetings with tournament directors. And it's, it's all about trying to, you know, leverage my contacts to create the opportunities for the players. And um, I think the more we expand throughout Asia and hopefully even further, uh, sky's the limit really. Um, and... You know, I, I I would ultimately love to get it to a point where I can be very selective about what I do with regards to the commentary. I don't have to go chasing gigs all over the world um, because, you know, when I was at the final last week, I, I love it. I, I love um, it's a lot of hard work organising signage to be shipped from interstate and media walls and, um, you know, organising the, the drawer and, and and everything. But yeah, it's... Um, it's it's just such a joy to be able to go out there and watch the kids and chat to them and do little interviews with them and and, and create the you know the social media um, profile for them and yeah very proud mate it, it, you absolutely should be proud and, and and like you said it's a great thing to do in memory of your dad and, and he'd be really proud too and you just look at some of these names right so Harrison Crow Hayden Hotwell Elvis, Elvis Smiley Cassie Porter I mean um, Jeffrey Guan's on there Jeffrey's T4 at the moment at the yeah. PGA. I mean, what was he was, what was it two years ago he was playing in the junior season? Uh, he played an event just a few months ago. Yeah. yeah. He, he was our, he was our champion last year. Actually, nice he deal. was our champion last year alongside um, Janith Wong, yes. who Janith played the LPGA then in Malaysia <laughs> and the US Women's Open at Pebble Beach this year. So yeah. um, it's, it's really just epitomizes the talent level. It absolutely does. It's um yeah, I think it's one of those things that's good and you've got great partners with Adidas, Titleist. I mean, it's it's just good and like you said, sustainable is the key and, and any pathways for, for kids or anyone to get into golf is is always a great thing. Absolutely. Now, mate, we're gonna try and keep this short and sharp for you. So I've only got two things left. The first one is lucky seven. It's seven questions about golf. I've never asked a professional golfer these questions, so I don't know if these are gonna be easier or more difficult for you. First question is favorite golf course you've ever played. Uh, okay, if I can only pick one, you just get one. Okay, I'm going to pick one. I'm going to say Shinnecock Hills. Yeah. Okay, we haven't had anyone say that. that. That's that's a good one. But two weeks ago, someone um, did say Pine Valley, which was a solid flex. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to flex and say yes, I've played it as well. Oh, it is go. an amazing <laughs> experience. But no, Shinnecock. Shinnecock. Okay. Yeah. The number one on the must playlist you haven't been to. Um, 
this sounds ridiculous because I have been there and I had an opportunity to play it and I turned it down because I was too tired, which sounds ridiculous. Cypress Point. Oh, I was so happy you didn't say Augusta National then. Yeah, so Cypress <laughs> Point's still really high up on the ones that you don't say no to yet. Um, it looks amazing scenery and supposedly yeah. obviously an exceptional course as well. Um, the Masters or the Open? Oh, the, get, o- the Open any day of the week. And this is, I ask this of everyone, it's probably easier, easier for you to answer. When you say the open, is it winning it or watching it? Everything. That's I was, I'm probably a little biased in that I played, I played three. Um, yeah. I played terribly in all three. Um, but I think that also says a lot when you play poorly and you just can't get enough of it. Um, yeah. The whole experience around the open is just so unique. Uh, look, the Masters is incredible, obviously. And I mean, to be all, grow up watching the Masters on TV and everything and, you know, if I got the opportunity to go and play Augusta or commentate at the Masters, which I haven't yet, um, I'm obviously not going to turn it down. No. Um, but the Open is just top of the list for me. It's just absolutely phenomenal and my favourite week of the year. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of a lot of Aussies in particular are answering the same way. Preference, hmm. uh, striping a drive or flushing an iron? Um, well, if we're just talking iron in general, I'm going to say flushing a drive. If we're talking one or two iron, I'm going to say one or two iron. One or two iron. Yeah, if it's a one, if it's a if it's a a retro one or two iron, which oh, I've yeah. got a few of, yep. much to my wife's dismay. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a one or two iron, but just generically, I'm saying flush driver. Flush a driver. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. There's no wrong answers. Um, when you do finally get to play with the putter, is the pin in or the pin out? Uh, generally pin out. Um, I'm a little old school like that, but if I'm just having a fun day with my mates and we just just leave it in, I don't really care. It's amazing how many people answer the same way with that. They say pin out and they mm. always say old school. It's like we're all doing something wrong because we want to play the way we've always played it. It's quite yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> when you do play, if, if you do get to chance, are you a dew sweeper off in the morning or a half set and sunset? Um... I'm a bit of a hybrid. I, I go first thing in the morning, but I'm a half set. Yeah. First thing in the morning. Yep. Yeah. And that's, oh, I just, same, same with me when I go to the gym. If I go to the gym, I'm, I'm in there. It sounds ridiculous. I'm in the gym at 4.30 a.m. I'm back by six. Yep. If I play golf, I can, I can get nine, even 18 in by 9 a.m. And it gives me the bulk of the rest of the day to, to do things and help my wife with my little man. So, yep. um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm definitely a morning person. Yep, that's fair enough. Last one's a bit more difficult. So of all the things you've got from golf, what is your favorite golf memento or keepsake? Can be something in your bag, could be something at home, could be anything. Um gosh, off the top of my head, um probably mm, off the top of my head, I would say I one of the opens I played um was at Carnoustie in 07. It was my first open. And I got a hat clip, uh, a ball marker hat clip that you see all the, the ladies wearing. Yep. You never see a, a guy, never see a male. You have a think about it. You never see a male wearing it. Um, no, I think of Laura Davies. Every, every time yeah. I, think, I think of Laura Davies. So, yeah. And I, I got one of those. And I when I won in Georgia my second week, uh, my second win on the Corn Ferry Tour, I had the Carnoustie ball marker yep. on my hat um, that week and I used it to win. And um, that was that's probably my most significant memory and memento and 
and still got it. Yep. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, now, the last thing we're going to talk about, I don't know if you had time to think about three people that might win the Aussie PGA this week. Obviously, you'll be up there working hard. Just for everyone at home, just some of the names that are playing. I was looking at it this morning. I literally think this could be one of the best fields we've seen in Australia in a long time. Cam Smith, Absolutely. Mito Pereira, Joaquin Neiman. No one's been talking about this. Lucas Herbert, Minwoo Lee, Cam Davis, Adam Scott, Adrian Moronk, Robert McIntyre, Eddie Pepperell, Leash, Ormsby, even Jonathan Vegas is out here. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic field. Johnny Vegas has just been out injured for almost 12 months. But, I mean, any one of those names you mentioned are probably the favourites, right? Yeah. Um, I always like going underdogs and picking under-the-radar players. And, Love it. Um, I've, I've, got, um, well, I've certainly got a couple of European players you didn't mention there that have had really solid seasons that I think will um, give, it a sh- give it a shake. And the first one's Richard Mansell um, yes. from England. Uh, he's been in contention multiple times and in, in the last 12 months and still looking for that breakthrough win. Great swing, great fella. Um, the second one is a young guy, 20 years old, had his first win this year, um, Tom McKibben from Northern Ireland. Yep. Um, from Hollywood. Absolutely. From, yep, and friends with Rory. Uh, mm. Just absolutely strikes it. Uh, I've, got to pick, I've got to pick an Aussie. I can't go three Europeans. So... If I'm going to pick an Aussie, I'm going to go with a Queenslander because Royal Queensland is um, is grainy. It suits the locals. Um, someone who's playing fairly well. I'm going to go Mavid Antcliffe. Yes, playing well this week again. So, don't know if he's a member at RQ. If he's not, he's played the course a million times. So um, let's go with Mav. He's got the greatest name, I think, in professional golf. So um, put him he down. Does. He does. Well, I'm not going to – well, the rules here are you get to pick three, and then I'll pick three. If you've got a specific charity you want me to donate to, you just need to let me – do you have one or, or anyone? Um, not really, but let's go no. make a wish. Make a wish it is. So instead of – you've picked some outsiders, which I quite like, so I'm going to pick some outsiders as well because there's no point me picking, you know, Cam Smith and everybody else. The first person I'm going to pick is one of my favorite players from the European tour. He's a US player that no one knows, and that's Sean Crocker. He's mm-hmm. sort of the sort of guy that just bobs up here and there with some amazing golf. So he's going to be my first. And the second person I'm going to pick, just to make sure this is nice and even, is Alex Fitzpatrick. Alex oh. Fitzpatrick has astounded me this year at how well he's played. Absolutely he was, my, he, astound- was he? Yeah, he, well, he was my other European pick. Yeah, absolutely. I actually um, did a couple of uh, interviews with Alex in Prague at the end of August, um, the yep. tournament there, and um, he's... I mean, he's knocked on the door multiple times, and um, he's yeah. n- not only—he's not only an awesome player. He, his personality and his golf game is polar opposite to his brother. He's yep. very gregarious. He's a real shot maker too. I mean, mm. if you if you watch him play up close, it's almost a throwback to the seventies and eighties. He manoeuvres the ball every which way and low, high, and uh, he's he's fun to watch. He's a good go- good guy too. Good golfer, like you said, different. Um... Matt is meticulous. I feel like mm-hmm. Matt, Matt's the hard worker. Alex is the natural. But, um, yeah, he just shows it when he's playing. The last one I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick an Aussie as well. And I'm going to pick the bloke that I just think is going to absent, absolutely blow up the European tour once he gets out there full time. And that's a bloke who could very well be the Vic PGA Championship champion winner yep. in a couple of hours. And that's David Michaluzzi. Um, he's he's six last year there too. So good. Yeah. And he just is playing great golf. Um, last week he finished at one shot out of the um, 
one shot out for Gippsland. No, was it Gippsland? Was one shot uh, out for Queensland PGA. Yeah, Queensland PGA, and he played. Yeah. His, he didn't even play his best golf. So, um, yeah, he'll be my pick. So we've got, you've got uh, Richard Mansell, Tom McKibben, and Mav Ancliffe, and I've got Sean Crocker, Alex Fitz, Patrick, and Dave Micheluzzi. That is an absolute amazing half dozen of players there. It is, just... absolutely. Well, put it this way, Dave Dave Micheluzzi, I've got to interview him at the Greg Norman Medal on um, Tuesday night, actually, yes. and um, he's obviously got his DP World Tour card. And uh, I, know, um, I know one of the questions um, I want to say to him is if you back him every single week, to win in Europe over the next 12 months. Um, you, I'm sure on at least one occasion you're going to be successful. I I think he's got 100%. multiple wins over the next couple of years in Europe. I agree. I think it's. I think I like a guy like what I love about him the most is he reached such a high level as a, as a years ago uh, when he was <laughs> an AM and he's not fallen away but sort of lost the luster and he's come back strong and I like that and I think he's he knows the highs and lows and I feel that'll help him once he gets out there full time. Loves playing golf too. He's, he's not saying he's not a big practicer, but he eschews that a little bit in favour of just just loves playing. He'll get out there and play as much golf as he can, even if it's just a social round. Just get out on the course and play, play, play. And I think that's the best um, best practice you can get, the best feedback you can get too. A hundred percent, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Good luck this week. Congratulate and next week at the Aussie Aussie Open as well. And congratulations on the birth of your little man. What's his name? Tommy. Tommy, congratulations Tommy. to yourself Thank and you. the wife. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll be up in up at the PGA on Saturday, Sunday. So I'll make sure awesome. I can say good day. Brilliant, Mike. Thanks very much for the time, mate. I, I really appreciate it. No, mate. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Well, again, massive, massive thanks to Jorn Porter for that. That was really good. Uh, really appreciated his time, as I do everyone that comes on at... Um, just really good to be able to reach out to some of these people that you've kind of conversed with over the socials or met you know once or twice and have them so generous with their time so really really appreciate it ports thank you thank you again um obviously that was pre-recorded so we recorded that sunday evening uh just as the victorian pga was finishing up at moon links uh when we were when we were sort of both keeping an eye on it uh kazuma kabori was having an absolute stellar stellar event uh, a lot of you would have seen him over the last few years as a as an am coming through he played exceptionally well the other week at the asia pacific amateur uh, he'd been leading into the final round unfortunately for him uh, did have a poor final round shot a 77 in the final round um and the favourite for the event, David Micheluzzi, did come through and win. Uh, Mika was the pick on the email that we sent out. Uh, look, it's not one I'm going to brag about. He was $6.50. It wasn't exactly an exciting pick. It wasn't exactly one that anyone's retiring on. But we've talked about it before. He's just a class. He's, he, he is a class above these guys. He's going to be one that you're going to see playing on the Euro Tour very, very soon. And I expect him to play really well. As Port said, you know, he's, he's got the talent. We expect him to win in the next twelve months on tour, which, you know, if if you think about, it, is a really big call uh, because you know as we talk about, there's 130 players that go out each week, and you really need to catch catch lightning in a bottle to to get a win. But I, I truly believe that that David Micheluzzi will do that. Uh, so yeah, congrats to Micah. Uh, ben Eccles had a really good week as well. It was probably the only other one that was putting any pressure on the win there. Uh, he finished it with a 66 in the final round, which was one better than Micah did. Uh, finished at 13 under. Uh, Kaburi at third, and then Mav Ancliffe, who had a really, really good week, who ended up in his Imports' pick this week for uh, Mike versus the Mug, which I will uh, cover off again at the end. Uh, and the top five was rounded out by Jeffrey Guan, who we talked about, who's come through the junior sixes that Ports has put together. 
uh, Austin Batista and Adam Bland all finish out that top five. It's a great event. If you do get chance next year, make sure you get down to the morning's potential and watch it. Obviously, it's over the two courses to begin with, and you can wander around. I mean, anyone that watched it on television, you can see people walking around right behind the players. There's no ropes. You can really sort of get involved and get up nice and close, which is really good. And there'll be a million more events like that this year. So I, I really encourage people to get down there, especially if you're just down there for the weekend. Uh, the TPS at uh, Rosebud will be on, so I can guarantee that'll be a really good look. I played there. Uh, two weeks ago, I played there with a friend of mine, Conrad and Scott, um, who Conrad's a member down there. And we had a great time there on the North course, which was my first look at the North course, really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm looking forward to that event. It's always good. I think when you get to watch events like this event this week, the Vic PGA, because I played that course 10 million times, middle link. So when I'm watching them play, I can really get an understanding of what they're trying to do. Uh, and also I get a really, really good understanding of how far away I am from ever doing this for playing golf for a living because yeah, we're just, we're just not playing the same sport. The other one that was one of the big picks last week, again, I'm not going to crow too much about it because he was the $13 favorite was Ludwig Aberg. So Ludwig has been on the lips of many, many picks, uh, pickers of golf tournaments over the last 12, 18 months. And and if you listen to the No Laying Up podcast, you've listened to TC probably wrapping up for two or three years. Uh, he had a win, his first win on the Euro Tour, what, a month ago? And now he's got his first PGA Tour win when he took out the RSM Classic on the weekend. Uh I won't lie, um, I don't ever back, back the favorite, and this week I did. It was my only bet. It was pretty much all the money I'd normally bet on a normal event. I rolled straight into him. Uh, and to be honest, I, I don't think I was really too nervous at any given point that he wasn't going to win. Uh, I was pretty confident. I think I mentioned on the podcast last night, it was the only event that I think he'd had any sort of start in prior to this season. So he, he'd had a, a start there. And um, I just feel like that's a real benefit. Anyone who's, who's been to an event before, um, first up, um, it's tricky, but if you've been there before, kind of know how things work, a bit more comfortable. Looking at his form coming in, it was outrageous. You know, I think he had a handful of top 20s already in his handful of starts on the PGA Tour. So with a week off in the middle, everything was just lining up that it was going to be a big week for Ludwig. And he delivered. Um, he delivered absolutely unbelievably. I was probably the last, the final round, I think it was on about the 14th or 15th, he had a bogey. Um it was not 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 his greatest. Uh, it was 12, actually, much earlier than 14, 15. Um, and at the same time, Mackenzie Hughes, who was chasing him down and had a probably a very unlikely par after having an embedded ball. So those two are really the only ones that were in the mix um, coming down, down the stretch there. Um, Tyler Duncan, Eric Cole, Adam Svensson, last year's winner, Ben Coles, and Danny McCarthy rounded up top five. But I mean, those top five guys are at 19 under that T5, whereas you know Ludwig's 10 shots ahead. Um which which will happen when you shoot 61, 61 on the weekend. So um, absolutely amazing win. And yeah, I think if you're not excited about this guy's future, um, you just don't like golf because yeah, it's it's going to be one to watch for sure. Uh, the only other event for the week that we had, oh, sorry, there were two other events. We did we would talk to the LPGA Tour, uh, was Nikolai Hoygaard winning over in uh, the DP World Tour Championship at the Earth Course in the UAE. Uh, I didn't get to watch too much of this. It's one of those events where at the end of the day, I kind of end up really only being able to watch um, golf mainly in the mornings. So when you get an event like this that kind of starts in the afternoon, it's pretty good because I can watch a bit of it, but then I don't really get to watch the, get to watch the pointy end because I'm in bed. I'm just uh, I'm, not, I'm an early riser, not not a late finisher. So for me, I did watch a little bit. It was great. It was good to watch. Didn't finish too late, I should say. It was it was only about midnight, but I'm I'm, I'm not great with staying up too late. Uh, he was really, really good. Look, he, I think if you if you like 
following this sort of stuff and you are interested in the DP World Tour, you'd be following them on the socials. So you would have seen the video that they posted out in the last sort of 24 hours since he won uh, with the recording, mic'ing him up and having Rory and those guys talking to him and congratulating him. It was just really, really good to see. Uh, obviously, the 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 overall winner was probably still Rory. He's the one who gets the big check for the end of year. But um, it's always nice to win to win the final event. Tommy Fleetwood, again, re- played really, really well here. Um, he finished tied second with Victor Hovland, who clearly is – he'd be, have to be on the way to becoming top player in the world. He's played amazing golf recently. Uh, if he can keep going like this, yeah, he just he's just knocking on the door for a big, big event next year, hopefully a major. But yeah, he, he's probably playing the best of anyone on the planet right now. And the other one that uh, finishes it up there was Matt Wallace, who was also T2. He had a really, really good third round. He shot 60. don't know if anyone saw the scorecard that he had, but he birdied every hole on the back nine. Um, so yeah, and I think he even birdied a couple coming into the back nine. So a very impressive uh, round there for Matt, but he couldn't quite get it done in the end. Uh, Hoygaard, Nikolai finishing at 21 under, and those guys at second were 19. So just a little bit behind. Uh, we didn't have the winner there. Uh, we said in the beginning uh, when I put the email out, it was going to be one of those events where I expected a big name to win. I didn't have Nikolai as one of the big names. Uh, Victor and, and John Rahm, who's been exceptional here, winning three of his four starts were the guys that I assumed would win. And they were in the mix, but yeah, it was. it's always good when you see someone different win. Um, and, and we got that this week, which is really, really good. And the last event was the LPGA. So Amy Yang won that. Uh, it was one that, again, I didn't get to watch too much of. Um, we didn't have any picks that got close there. Yes, yeah, so Amy Yang won. Alison Lee second with Nasa Hatayoka. Uh, Lilia Vu, my favorite uh, pronunciation there. Lilia that was fourth and Ataya Titikul was fifth. I'm getting so much better at those names. Maybe from listening to ports on the coverage over the last uh, the last few weeks uh, in Korea and Japan has helped me out there immensely. So congratulations to Amy Yang. Um, for this week, there's only one event. I'll look, the Joburg opens on, and I will put some tips out if I can have a look. It's, it's Joburg opens not really going to be one that I'm going to be too heavy on. Um, as you can imagine, it's super heavy for the South African contingent, uh, Charles Swartzel and, and a few other up-and-comers, you know, and then the names that you've sort of heard rolling around the DP World Tours like Ollie Becker, Thriston Lawrence, Sean Norris, Daniel Bantonda, uh, Wilco, Wilco Niemba, who hits the ball on off the planet, uh, Chris, Christian Bezaden, who So there are some bigger names there, but it very, very much it's a home, home ground advantage for a lot of these guys. So I will put that out on the email and the tips. Uh, but the main event this week is the Australian event, which is uh, co-sanctioned with the DP World Tour. The Australian PGA. It's the one that Ports will be there working. I will be up there. Um, so if you do see, I'll, I'd say if you do see a bald bloke with a beard walking around looking like he's confused, it's me. But there are a lot of bald guys with beards out there. I do get mistaken for a lot of different people. Um, but I will be up there for the weekend. So yeah, say good day if, if you do figure out who I am. Um, it's an amazing event. It's it's. I said this on the on the, earlier on the podcast when I was talking to Ports. I don't think I've seen a stronger field in in Australia in a very, very long time. I mean, outside of Cameron Smith, Adam Scott, you know, Jeff Ogilvy in the in the in the past tournament winners sort of area, DP World Tour players turning up. Adrian Moronk hits that sooner, Rio hits that sooner who played very well here last year. And I think I might end up having a dollar on him this year. Uh Tom McKibben, who's in Ports' picks, Bobby Mack, uh Nicholas Colsarts, uh Richard Mansell who's in his picks as well. Um, Scrivener's over there as well. Uh, Eddie Pepperell, Rafa Cabrera-Breo. Lots and lots of guys in that sort of mid-range. 
But then you got Dave Michaluzzi, who won this week in the Victorian PGA. Uh, yep, you're thinking, yeah, these, these names are okay. Cameron Davis, have you heard of him? Uh, PGA Tour superstar. Min Woo Lee, also PGA Tour player. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Lucas Herbert, Joaquin Neiman. I, I just am absolutely shocked at how many people are turning up to play this event. Um, it's just really, really good to see. I just um happy that we're getting some better names out here. Um, and I think obviously Liv's helping that because some of these guys from the Liv events are, are obviously going to come and play this because they can try and pinch some world ranking points. Um, it is co-sanctioned, so that, that's great. It's a, it's a definitely a win for us. Um, for the event itself, it's at Royal Queensland um, out there, not far from the airport if you are heading up and heading out there's a million things on so just having a look at the at the agenda for the week obviously they've got a lot of stuff on you at the pro-am and um the gala awards dinner is on tuesday night as ports mentioned but i mean even if you want to get out there with the kids there's some really really good stuff on uh kids course out there for the kids um there's the southern comfort party hole on 17 if you don't take the kids and just want to get on the gas all day uh the village is there so there's obviously lots of bits and pieces to, to see Friday's Yellow Day, which they've done every year for a long time now, doing it for Jared. So um, donations to Challenge uh, for Jared Lyle there. Um, a really, really, really good um, charity and one that I'll definitely be putting some money towards. Uh, it's just a really good event. They do it really well. I went up last year, thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and again, I'm, I'm reaching into my own pocket and shooting up there again to do it this year by myself. So yeah, if anyone else is, is thinking about it and you're in the Brisbane area or you can get there, I, I would highly, highly recommend it. Uh, just... Covering off Ports' picks, as we said, for the Mike versus the Mug, he has got Richard Mansell, Tom McKibben, and Maverick Ancliffe, and I've got Sean Crocker, uh, Alex Fitzpatrick, brother of Matt, and Dave Michaluzzi. Now, I picked him before he won, so don't say that I'm cheating there. Uh, the odds aren't up yet, so I can't really tell you how everything's going to go because we are recording this earlier. It is Monday night. Um, don't be expecting anyone outside of Cam Smith to be the favorite. Expect Min Woo Lee to be short. On the email this week, I will put out some picks i will be pretty clear that i still will think that a favorite will win here but at the same time i'm really going to try and find some value there last week we obviously had the winner in ludwig aberg but we also had ryan moore finish top 20 and paid six dollars in the pick so um those sorts of things also help so i'll be trying to find some people that are around the mark for the weather when it comes to looking at say round one leader i will definitely be having a look um it looks pretty wet up until wednesday which is great because obviously the tournament starts on thursday what does that tell me? I want a guy that's out in the morning. I want someone that's out there Thursday morning on a softish sort of course. Um, it's not going to be playing super long. It's not not a super long track. Um, something that they can throw some darts into those greens and make some putts. Oh, I really want to see that. Looks okay for the rest of the week, maybe till Sunday. Sunday's, Sunday's going to possibly get a little bit of rain, but nothing spectacular. Um, hopefully it can stay away. The wind also doesn't look too horrendous. Nothing, nothing crazy that these guys wouldn't be expected to play well in. Um, so yeah, again, can't say it enough. If you do have a chance to get up there, make sure you do. Really appreciate you listening. Um, and yeah, thanks very much. And I'll um, speak to you. Oh, you'll hear me in a couple of weeks' time. Cheers.